sugar. So hopefully you like this episode. This totally happened on the fly. Literally, I got an email last night, like less than eight hours, 12 hours ago saying, hey, this a, a really famous drag queen in Ireland, Panty Bliss, is going to be coming to Los Angeles. And so we tried to schedule this inter- interview. Didn't work to do it in person. So literally, they just called me on my computer and I recorded it on my phone. So if this isn't the best audio quality, Sugars, I apologize. Mama's doing the best she can. But I really wanted to get this conversation with Panty Bliss, who's a hilarious, wonderful drag queen, but also a huge activist. And I think not just for LGBTQ queer people, but I think what's going on now with, in the United States with, with women and um, Black Lives Matter and things like that, I just think that she gives such a great explanation about oppression, and, and um, I just love what she's about. So so without further ado, here's the show. Here's myself and the wonderful, the talented, the fiercely passionate Panty Bliss. All right, and we're recording... What? What? Hello, everybody. This is a special, special podcast for me personally. Um, I am. This is an on-the-fly interview. It's, it, you're listening to a special Dear Maddie show episode. Uh, I'm Matt Marr, and today my guest is Ireland's own. I would say probably premier or or, or ambassador drag drag queen Panty Bliss. Indeedy. Hi. Thank you for being on the show. This is a, you're in LA, but we're still doing Skype because we just we, we both have lives, Panty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're busy girls. <laughs> we are busy girls. So, okay, first of all, I didn't want to say this before we started recording because I didn't want to. I'm going to fan out now, but so I got like an email thing saying like this that this I, that the Irish Week was happening in LA, but I was already a fan of yours. Like I've already followed you on Twitter for you. I think I've tweeted at you. You tweeted me back. Like oh. Yeah, like I've been following you for like a couple of years now. Like I, so I'm actually like I squealed when I saw the email. <laughs> so, um, and a lot of it is because I'm a fan of, uh, of of one of the reasons why you're here. But I'm a fan of I think it was was it 2014 when you gave that yeah. speech that went viral. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's why I want to tell my listeners, and they're going like, "What? Why, Matt? Why are you having Irish drag queen on your show?" And for more, I just so tell a little bit about for my American listeners um, and although there might be I do have some British listeners and I do a recap of this terrible show on ITV2 called Bromans which is horrible oh yeah 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 but it's also really hot Um, (laughs) (laughs) but so tell everybody about like you know a little bit about yourself and kind of and your process of drag because I think that um, it's you know I love RuPaul's Drag Race and we talk about uh, that a lot in America but I feel like you're doing something a little different uh, well, um, well, I'm from Ireland. Um, I am 48. So back in the eighties, I was a you know, student in our college and I got into drag then, but as it was fun and underground and transgressive and punk and all of those things. Um, and I sort of stumbled my way along and ended up, you know, doing drag all of my life really. Um, when I was in my early twenties, I moved to Japan. I was part of a double act with an American queen in Tokyo for, a number of years in the 90s and then I went back to Ireland and I continued doing drag and I was very involved with the club scene and all of that and eventually I opened my own bar and then about ooh, 10, 11, 12 years ago I sort of moved out of that space and I started uh, going into the legitimate theatre darling um, and started doing um, one woman shows and that all sort of trundled along to very nicely even then sort of the reason that you're probably interested in me <laughs> was a few years ago um uh, before, um, 
you know, some of your listeners might know that. So in 2015, Ireland became the first country in the world to introduce marriage equality through popular vote. You know, we did it by referendum. It was all very wonderful. But a few years before that, um, uh, really before marriage equality was sort of really on the cards in a big way or anything, um, I was on a, a chat show on Irish television um, on our national broadcaster, you know, like our version of the BBC or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, and during the sort of chat part, um, I, I named a number of very well-known Irish individuals, um, famous journalists and so on, and suggested that they were homophobic. And, uh, and they were very upset by that, and they sued me, and they sued our national broadcaster for defamation. Now, our laws around defamation are very different than yours here in the United States, um, and here it would be very difficult for them to bring um, a lawsuit like that. But in Ireland, it's actually very possible. And, um, mm. and that sort of became quite a bit of a scandal. Um, and then our national broadcaster, they uh, paid a lot of money to these uh, people to make these lawsuits go away. But of course, because it's the national broadcaster, which is funded by taxpayers' money, essentially they were giving taxpayers' money to these homophobes um, to make them go away and um, and so suddenly it went from being a sort of media type scandal to being a huge scandal which sort of rolled on for a lot for weeks months even on end it became a sort of a huge national conversation it was raised in the parliament it was discussed in the european parliament because we had this huge big deal and in the middle of all of that deal and um, i made this speech um, in the abbey theater in dublin and um, which is probably how you got to know me um, mm -hmm. because then that speech which was about the experience of being gay in Ireland and sort of uh, on broader themes of sort of homophobia or oppression. And that speech went viral and um, brought me uh, much more attention than I ever imagined. A quick 10-minute speech might have. Um, but and it was then, so yes, beautiful, Pinty. You know that is how I know you, because I remember sharing that. And I remember sharing at the time, and um, I, I watched it again just to refresh myself it is such, it is the best, and this is coming from someone who, like, again, I'm not bragging, but saying, like, I have a degree in fucking, like, you can cuss, by the way, on my show. Um, <laughs> I have a degree okay, in, fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, I have a degree <laughs> in, like, gay psychology, yet, you, and so I've heard so many definitions of oppression and things like that. I feel like you gave the most succinct and eloquent and best definition of oppression to that I've ever heard, honestly. And even, and not just for queer or gay issues, but also for, I, I really reminiscent of what you talked about in the speeches a lot of times, how these people were so upset that you were calling them homophobes and almost now they didn't realize the oppression that you can't even use that word. It reminded me a lot of what's going on in uh, in the United States right now with Colin Ka Ka Kaepernick and, and people yeah. bending the knee and how there's so many white people that are saying, well, black people shouldn't protest this way. This is not how you protest. Yeah. So I find a lot of similarities in that. Um, well, one of the sort of really sort of lovely things for me, um, you know, um, I was sort of giving you a very positive history of my thing there, but you know, I've been sort of involved in activism for a long time, and I make a lot of speeches, or whatever. But one of the things about that particular speech that really was lovely for me was the reaction of people all over the world. And obviously, I expected in a way, or I wasn't that shocked that gay people would have identified with it very much. But what did come as a surprise to me was so many other people identified with it in other ways. And so I got so much, you know, so many emails and calls and letters and whatever, you know, from. For example, from people in wheelchairs or oh, wow. uh, women or people of color, you know, many people identified with this 
in ways that I wasn't, you know, expecting really. Um, because I guess in some ways that the experience of oppression is the same, um, you know, for everyone. Um, yeah, you know, in so fact, yes, that, that yeah, was, was, that over, was that overwhelming? Because I think the way I found out is I think like RuPaul retweeted it or somebody and that's how I found it. Or like, because I remember reading like, I think like, I think Graham Norton was like you had all these celebrities talking about this speech. Like, was yeah, that because like, you know I, what was I, that I like? That speech and didn't think anything of it, but it did. You know, picked up a lot of traction, and then um, th- thankfully for me, because you know, because the, a lot of the attention that it received um, got me out of a lot of legal trouble. Basically. <laughs> but um, so yeah, no, I was really lucky. Whatever Graham Norton and uh, RuPaul and uh, Stephen Fry and Madonna, all these people, you know, contacted me or retweeted or talked about it. And the Pet Shop Boys remixed it into a, you know, into a track. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's amazing. And nuts. Um, but um, yeah, it was a, a fun experience too, in a way. Yeah. Wow. So, did it? What did this do for you? I'm interested in like, um, as because it does seem redundant that. And ridiculous that we're still talking about a lot of these issues still in 2017 and that um, and that we have, you know, um, I mean, hello, this week, uh, the president of the United States just made a joke about gay people hanging themselves. Yeah. So but what did it for you like? I, as an activist myself, sometimes I get a little bit of just burnout. You have to like reinvigorate yeah. yourself. What was that? Was that like a reinvigoration for you? Whenever that blew up that way, or was it overwhelming, or was it scary? Um, it, it, it wasn't scary uh, really because because it blowing up did me a lot of favors. Um, I was being sued at the time and all of that, and so there was all this legal stuff going on, and and the attention that it brought me sort of ended all of that, and you know, because I sort of won the you know, the PR war, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it definitely was reinvigorating for me, and um, and one of the fun things is, you know, so I was up to that point, I was you know pretty well known in, in Ireland, but um. Uh, through my theater work and all of that and activism for many years and all but it sort of it just sort of amplified everything for me um, and uh, it, it sort of brought my my thing to a, a wider audience and uh, and I guess I had spent about 30 years at that point trying to get people to take what I did more seriously because I think generally people have a very limited idea of what a drag queen can be mm-hmm. or what a drag queen might be saying in a show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and what it did was it made people look at me differently and take me much more seriously. Um, sometimes in a way at home, anyway, sometimes I think a little too seriously because um, it turned, you know, panty um, from being a sort of a queer, um, you know, character in a sense to being sort of a very mainstream uh, personality and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes I'm taking it a little too seriously at home you know mm-hmm. now nowadays you know I'm the drag queen that gets you know um, honorary doctorates from you know august universities and you know makes speeches to the European Parliament and stuff like it's a very nutty place for a drag queen to have ended up being and essentially it all comes from that one particular speech and I've made lots of other speeches and you know some of them are also online and been you know you know you know done well or whatever there's a TED talk and stuff and um, but it all really yeah, it was that particular moment and that particular speech that really transformed how people saw me. And um, but that has all been good. It just means that um, uh, more people have heard the messages that I've been trying to, you know, you know, send for the last twenty five years. And it just means that more people hear it now. So um, it's all good as far as I'm concerned. I yeah. think it's all. You know, I think what I think Oprah said this or somebody said this that like. Whenever you experience fame, it just magnifies who you already are, whether that's good or bad. 
And I think yeah, in I your think situation, so, yeah. you already were this kind of beautiful activist person. It's really just kind of blown that up, and we just see you more uh, in, in a grander way. And do you – go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, the other thing is, of course, you know, I think if I had been 21 and something like that had happened to me, it would have been a very different experience because – you know what? You know what would I've had? You know, so all this attention would be on me. But what would what would I've been able to say or do with that attention? And um, but you know that attention came to me when I was already in my mid forties, and you know, and I'd already had a pretty you know long and reasonably successful career within the small you know pond you know that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a lot of experience behind me. So uh, and you know I had a very realistic view of the world and my life and what I was about and what I was doing and what I wanted to do. So when all the attention came to me, you know, I was old enough and mature enough to, um, you know, to be able to just deal with it and, you know, take from the good things and yeah. um, sort of ignore, ignore the rest. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, I and I know I want I'm going to put the links for people to watch the speech and for your website. And there's some shows coming up in Los Angeles mm-hmm. I want to talk about, too. But I just like if if you don't mind, like there was just. There's one moment of the speech that to me that really are just when you talk, you just you describe oppression so well. And again, I think it's applicable. I've been thinking a lot about it lately with just kind of the whole Me Too thing that's coming up with sexual harassment this week of um, how I as a male, as a white male, even though I don't mean to, how I oppress women and don't even think about it. And one of those things is like when you talk about standing at the stoplight and would you mind talking, just sharing a little clip of like that example? That's that's an example of how that's oppression. Uh, sorry, you're going to play a clip. Is that what you said? No, no, no. Could you could you uh, could you tell a little tidbit of that little snippet of when you talk about standing at a stoplight and how you felt about yourself and how that was oppression? Uh, well, well, I mean, in that particular speech, I sort of mentioned this one time when I was standing at a crosswalk, and um, your car went by with this you know bunch of guys, and and they threw well, it was a, a milk carton out the door that hit me, and then. And, of course, when somebody throws a milk carton at you, well, it's not a really big deal. It's not going to hurt me very much. You know, whatever, it's just a piece of cardboard. But but it's sort of afterwards, all the questions you ask yourself, like, why did they throw it at me? And what is it about me that, you know, gives me away as this sort of queer? And, you know, and, and, and it's, it's afterwards. It's all the it's all the sort of the worrying and the questions you ask yourself um, that that feels oppressive rather than that, you know, carton. Um and and I, I and I think in the speech I'm extrapolating from that all those other situations where um, where you know society asks you to you know forces you um, to to sort of blame yourself for all of these things um, and 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 to me that is where the real hurt is mm-hmm. um, the sort of internal blaming of yourself uh, for things that aren't that aren't yours to be blamed. It's, yeah, it's just I encourage my listeners so much. Please check out that. Please check out that uh, the speech. But also, though, we should let people know you are a hilarious drag queen and you're doing you're in Los Angeles for the week. You're I know you're speaking at a panel and then you're also doing some live shows. So um, tell everybody what's going on. Um, I am here for the week for, for a few things. Um, we've been uh, meeting some people, but we're well, well, about a TV project that we're doing um, in the UK. And uh, but really um, what I'm here for is. Um, there's a thing called Ireland Week here. It's about sort of bringing Irish culture out here. Um, and I am doing two shows, Friday night and Saturday night, at the Hollywood Improv. And um, and yes, you're right. Um, sometimes I think people, they hear this story of mine, they think my show's going to be very serious and po-faced. Um, 
And of course, um, you know, uh, my shows are monologues. They're comic monologues. They're sort of they trade a line somewhere between stand up and theater. Um, but uh, but while you're laughing and all, um, I, I I I I do have serious points to make. So I guess I am trying to deliver um, serious questions or points about uh, life and queer identity and all of that. Um, while wrapping them up in a funny package so you don't really know I'm giving you something serious to talk about till afterwards. <laughs> that's, that is, I think that's probably another reason why I love you. I always feel like, I always want to help people. I always want to help them change their perspective. But at the end of the day, I want to entertain them. And sometimes, yes. a, sometimes a, a, a nice dick joke can just open up the conversation about <laughs> mental health. <laughs> well, a nice dick can open up so much. <laughs> It really can Now, your show with improv is that is that called Life After Pantygate? Uh, well, it's, well, actually, the shows here have been called Panty Live in L.A. and um, just a stroke of genius, obviously. And um, um, yeah, the show that I'm doing here is kind of yeah. It's a, it's it's about how um, my life has changed and how the perception of me has changed since. And all of that kerfuffle back in early 2014. Yes, which is called at home Pantygate. It's referred to as Pantygate, Pantygate. which is kind of funny. Well, I, I need to go to Ireland and, and Scotland and see my roots anyway, and I need to visit Panty Bar. Um, yes, you do. I do. I would have a great time. Now, we'll tell everybody um, – we're, we're going to do Chatty Matty questions real quick, but that just quickly huh? – um, uh, well, we'll do that now. So we do I, for my show. I do five questions for each uh-huh. each person. Um, same five questions. So uh, the first chatty matty question is: Is what is your most memorable childhood smell? Oh, that's actually easy but weird. Um, because my earliest childhood memory of all is you know those kind of um, sucky cups. They're like a a cup that has like a. Like spout on the end. Yeah, yeah, we call them sucky cups. A, yeah, such a, we call them a sucky cup, and um, I have such a clear memory of drinking out of those, and the sort of plastic smell of those as you're drinking out of them. <laughs> I know exactly what that smell is. The, you have a great memory because you were had to be had to be quite young. Yeah, I know, but it's it's, it's always been my earliest and clearest memory. They do say that say that smell is. I know most closely linked with memory or whatever. It but is. That is. That's why. Yeah. That's why I asked that question. Out of a plastic sucky cup. That's okay. Well, great. Chatty Matty number two. What's the best piece of advice you wished you had taken earlier in life? Um, I guess. Um, well, it's a piece of advice that I've gotten in uh, from a few different people in a few different ways, but I think it was probably actually RuPaul who said it best when he says, "Um." What other people think of you is none of your business, um, because I don't think I was ever, you know, fully comfortable and happy in my own self until I got to the point where I stopped caring what other people really, you know, thought about me. It, you know, except obviously, you know, friends or family or whatever. But you know, what what strangers thought about me because of what I was wearing or how I looked or how I stood or how I sounded and all that. Yeah, you know, that all that stuff used to fill me with sort of worry and you know, and used to bother me until. Oh, God. probably till I was around 30 or mm. so. And then I was just like, actually, none of that matters. I don't know those people. They don't know me. Um, and I think that was, you know, learning to appreciate that um, it helped me to become much happier than I ever have been before then. I love that. I, that, I needed to hear that today. Um, okay, Chatty Maddie number three. What day would be your Groundhog Day? Or in other words, what day was like the such a be- great day? You're like, oh, I could live that day over and over. <laughs> God, oh God, there's so many of those. Um, they usually involve a hot Latino daddy. Um, <laughs> and, 
In fact, I'm just going to say yesterday because my memory is very short. Yesterday, I spent the day here in Hollywood being driven around town in a big Escalade driven by a hot Latino daddy. And the, the number plate said Diva as we went from one Hollywood meeting to the next. And it was all very much like, oh, my God, this is the proper Hollywood life here. So let's just say yesterday because there was a hot Latino daddy. And, and, uh, and it was a fun day yesterday, yeah. I've, I enjoy Latino daddy myself. Um, all right, Chatty Maddie number three, what, or four, we have two more and then we're done. What would be the name of your memoir? Well, I already have my memoir. I know. So this is really easy. <laughs> it's, um, it was a bestseller in Ireland, of course, and I, but it's, of course it's still available, I'm sure, on Amazon and all of those things. Um, and it's called Woman in the Making. Woman in the Making. Good. I thought you had written a book. That's again why I wanted to ask it. Woman in the Banking. I'll put that too. Okay, and last one, uh, Panty. Uh, when do you feel most inspired? Um, God, that's actually quite tough. Um, I guess I personally uh, feel most inspired. Well, there'll be two things. Every now and then I'll go to some show or piece of theater or something um, that I wasn't expecting. That turned out differently than I expected, and sometimes there's nothing like sitting in a live experience, um, and your whole way of perceiving the world has been changed by something you've just seen happening live in front of you. Mm -hmm. And the other, I would say, and this is going to sound like I'm just saying this to be bullshitty, but it's absolutely true, uh, is being with my parents. I'm incredibly lucky. I have a great family, um, and I have two... Now, both very elderly, but very healthy for their age. Parents who have been happy and together uh, for 52 years. Um, and uh, they're a great inspiration. I think if any of us could achieve even half the happiness and you know steadiness and love and easiness that they've had in their lives, um, then we'd be very lucky. And they're very thoughtful people and they're very uh, open and generous and caring and they're also uh, they're very um, they're righteous people um, and they're prepared to uh, stand up for what they believe in even if that means um, you know taking a hit every now and then so yes I think um, my own parents weirdly perhaps pathetically are my no. inspiration. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, beautiful. And I'm glad they were that way because it rubbed off. Now, okay, so for everybody listening, if you're in the Los Angeles area at Hollywood Improv, well, October 20th and 21st. So yes, that's Friday and Saturday. Yeah, Friday, Friday and Saturday. Saturday. Um, and, um, and I think I, I've got to talk to my boyfriend. I think I'll be going on Friday, actually. So hey, I'll be well, nice to you. Make sure you... Um, Say hi and all I that. I will, yeah. for sure. So, um, so yeah, be sure to, I'll put the link in that for the shows and tell everybody else where they can find all things Panty. Uh, well, uh, you can go to, um, well, for shows and all that, actually, the best one to go to is this is Pop Baby. Dot com. This is popbaby.com. That's the production company that I work with on so much of my stuff. Um, and then, of course, you can find me on Facebook, Panty Bliss. Um, on Facebook, yeah. I do have a website, but it's uh, slightly being renovated at the moment, so it would be annoying to go there. Well, and obviously you can follow Panty on Twitter like I do. And, ah, yes, Panty on Twitter, that's a good one. And that all that good stuff, too. So um, I know you're super busy doing your Hollywood life, so I appreciate you so much just taking no, 30 no, minutes out of your day. To me, yeah. Of course, this look literally this made my week. Thank you so much, and um, and enjoy Los Angeles. I will, and hope to see you Friday. Oh, you will. Okay. Bye-bye. Love you, talk to you. Bye. Love you, bye.
All right, sugars. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, do yourself a favor. Take It's only 10 minutes long. I put the link in the show notes. Watch Panty's speech. It's truly uh, the way that it will make you gain empathy for other people that are different than you. I, honestly, I know it has for me with what's going on with a lot of the Me Too and sexual harassment right now uh, pertaining to women. I rewatched that speech last night knowing Panty was coming on the show and it really made me, you know, you would think that being a gay guy and being a therapist and what I do that I, I totally get and uh, get women when they're talking about sexual harassment. And I do. I feel like I do. And obviously I'm very empathetic and I think that's a horrible thing that I never want women to go through in my life. And that said... Whenever I listened to that speech and watched it, I really, it changed my perspective and more like what I can do on my own, how sometimes I could be oppressing a woman, even by simple things of when I compliment a woman on her eyeshadow instead of, you know, talking to her as a person. And not that there, my intention isn't, it's not be mean or, or I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to oppress them, but you know, I don't necessarily do that with men, although I do look at their asses, so, which, again, I shouldn't sexual harass men, too. So, anyway, his speech is really great because it really, I think, breaks down the minutia of feel, when things feel oppressive. And then it, it doesn't matter if you don't feel those things yourself, but it does matter that you understand them and that you have empathy with them, even if you don't necessarily um, have that same experience. Because we all just, at the end of the day, we just want to be heard, we want to be listened to, and we want to feel like we matter. All right, so I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked this episode and you want more information, go to DearMaddieShow.com. You can ask advice questions there, leave a review of the show, and I'm going to have another episode out this week because this was a special episode. So you'll still get an episode on Friday. All right, love y'all.